this is probably going to come off as, well, odd for this show because I don't know how much MMA talk has ever been held on the game. And honestly, the only reason that I am even interested in this story specifically comes from the fact that I know one of the two participants in what was to have been a title fight tomorrow night, uh, ESPN Plus pay-per-view, as lightweight belt holder Charles Oliveira was to meet his top challenger, Justin Gaethje, who, well, okay, full disclosure, I know you guys get tired of hearing me say this, full disclosure, he was a wrestler at Northern Colorado before he went into the MMA game, so I've known him for really his entire career so just understand that their weigh-in today saw Oliveira though come in overweight by a half pound they gave him one hour to cut the half pound it didn't happen and so the title bout itself will not happen essentially it comes down to Oliveira will be stripped of his title Gaethje, with a win, could then have the title. UFC makes up the rules as they go every time it comes down to something where one of their guys has something occur. I mean, Gaethje already had the title, once had it taken away. I mean, it. yeah, anyway. Uh, <laughs> Justin's response, though, was funny. He already was uh, putting in a pretty heavy breakfast after he made weight this morning. At 155. Within two hours, he had another 10 pounds back on his bones. Good grief. I I don't want to know what he was having for breakfast, actually. I, I don't. But uh, so the fight will go on. Should Oliveira win on Saturday, he'd be named the number one title contender for the light heavyweight. Or for the lightweight, excuse me, area. And if Gaethje wins... He's the title holder. It's down to that uh, for tomorrow night's fight. That will be interesting. So we shall see what plays out. Oliveira's peers were none too happy with what the outcome was. But, you know, much like wrestling as a whole, uh, cutting weight is tough. And when you're put on the spot like that, wow, literally a half pound. A half pound takes a title shot out of the mix for a guy so yesterday members of congress got a visit from two of the commissioners in college athletics two of the high-end commissioners in college athletics sec commissioner greg sankey and pac-12 commissioner george kalayakov made stops on capitol hill to talk about Name, image, and likeness. And the fact that they're at a point where they believe that legislation is necessary to get in front of what has become essentially the wild, wild west. It's not going to happen anytime soon that we will see legislation. Because after all, just like everything else that Congress is involved in at this point, it's not going to happen until after the midterms. Nothing will take place in Congress, Mark. I mean, other than what they can rubber stamp at this point. Nothing's happening 
of any controversy, of any weight, until after the midterms. That's just the nature of being in the election year, especially in the fact that we are now in the month of May. What it does mean, though, is that there is all kinds of attention on what the future of NIL could look like, even though NIL really is in its infancy. The flaw is the same flaw that, well, has been the story of the NCAA for close to the last 20 years. Ineffectiveness, feckless leadership, and an inability to enforce its own rule book. So, through the course of this week, a majority of the athletic directors and commissioners of conferences participated in meetings in Scottsdale, Arizona, trying to get a handle on what they would recommend be done to try and get in front of things such as Nigel Pax, 800 grand for two seasons and a car. That right out of the box is the number one, the number one item when they start talking NIL. At least it was until last weekend when you saw the discussion shift because of the fact that you had a player from Pitt, wide receiver, elect to make his move, potentially, to USC, basing it on dollars. It's, again, the wild, wild west. Jordan Addison could make some serious bank at USC, as if that that's a surprise to anyone at this point. But so you went from the college basketball angle and not even just our angst locally with what Pax deal wound up being thanks to life wallet but then the college football folks getting involved because of Addison potentially getting a big deal out of USC and with that folks are concerned about any number of things with the NIL Mike DeCourcy at the Sporting News pointed out something, though, just from his vantage point, and Mike's usually very on top of it. His number one point in trying to calm folks down is his viewpoint that the NCAA can't fix it. I'll agree with that. As I said earlier, feckless leadership, an inability to enforce their own rules, they've lost in court. The worst part about all of this, if you're the NCAA, or if you're an administrator and you're looking at what could have happened, the NCAA could have stopped all of this. The NCAA could have actually exhibited leadership, actually exhibited courage, actually exhibited 
a willingness to look at the situation and consider actual change. It could have. And it could have done it almost a decade ago. There's a reason why they now find themselves in this situation. Instead of taking a meeting with Charles O'Bannon and others surrounding what essentially was the NIL case that O'Bannon brought regarding royalty monies, etc., that he felt he earned as a student athlete at UCLA. I said, Charles, it was Ed, my bad, Ed O'Bannon. The NCAA elected not to even discuss it. They turned down the meeting with the attorneys for O'Bannon in 2014. They could have had that discussion. And O'Bannon was just the name at the front of the case. It turned into the class action suit. The NCAA could have put themselves at the forefront of the discussion, consideration of what changes should be made, how to handle the entirety of the situation, and instead said no. They elected to take it to court where they have an absolutely lousy record. One of the reasons why the NCAA moved out of Kansas City years ago was because they got to losing constantly. The judge that has had most of those cases, at least leading up to that point, because remember... The NCAA was based in Overland Park. Judge Catherine Vertil wound up with the vast majority of NCAA cases in front of her during a stretch of the 90s. And in almost every one she found against the NCAA. So part of the reason for moving to Indianapolis, besides the sweetheart of a deal for their headquarters and other things along those lines, they also moved because they felt that they had a better district court or federal district court circuit and judges that would actually listen to the NCAA's case rather than those who were going against them. Well, that has since not borne out. And they have continued to lose in court. And the O'Bannon case is just the latest of it. Again, could have taken the meeting with the class action attorneys and discussed the future. Completely blew their opportunity. And now the NCAA is crying. And now, I should say, leadership of the schools whose presidents comprise the voting members of the NCAA, those administrators are now upset because NIL has come and it's turned into the wild, wild west. Nobody's sure about sustainability. Nobody is sure about 
just how high the market will go? Does the NCAA essentially, or should say, does college athletics essentially become semi-pro? Could already argue it is. More appropriately, is it just going to be minor league athletics? Are we going to lose competitive balance? All of these things. Mike DeCourcy argues against those points, and I would invite you to check out his article at sportingnews.com because Mike is very level-headed and and offers a view that is interesting. I may not agree fully with his view on this, but he does point out, again, the historical fact is this. The NCAA set themselves up for this failure. And I thought it was rather telling that yesterday, Senator Marsha Blackburn following her conversation with the two commissioners, made the comment that the retirement of Mark Emmert would be uh, the opportunity for the NCAA to be able to move forward on these things. She completely threw Emmert under the bus, which is to be expected from the leadership of the conferences and of the membership of the NCAA at this point. I didn't expect to hear it from Marsha Blackburn, but apparently that's what Sankey and Kalayakov got through to her was that it was Emmert's fault, which again, we can argue, but the NCAA missed, whiffed on this, blew their chance, and now they have to pay, now they find themselves paying the price and nobody knows what's going to play out. Oh, by the way, because of this situation, that glorious new uh, rewritten constitution, yeah, it's not likely going to get done now before next year at some point. So that just puts everything else into a spin because you have no... uh, no idea in terms of what is needing to be enforced or how those rules would be enforced or even what will be in place for an enforcement uh, structure going forward. Essentially, the NCAA is falling apart in terms of its leadership, in terms of its formatting, in terms of just what it is as an organization. And yet it still has a billion-dollar TV contract for the NCAA tournament. Literally, that's about the only thing that it feels like is holding the NCAA together at this point. How frightening is that if you're a college athletics fan? What's next is going to be, again, ongoing and amazing to watch, but at what cost? At what cost? <sighs> I it just I get so frustrated at the NCAA and how they have completely mismanaged everything over the last 20 years. The only thing they didn't mismanage was getting their basketball contract, their their tournament contract. That's the only thing that you can say the NCAA has gotten right in 20 years. That, folks, 
is maddening. Sage is putting together the questions. She's getting ready to ask me anything. As we make our way towards the bottom of the hour, K-State baseball against KU coming up. The game continues in a moment. All right, it's Ask Us Anything. And first question, we got time for a couple here. Are you someone who always has to show up to places early or late? Early to a fault. 15 minutes ahead of time is how I tend to live life. I know that folks for years mocked that in the NFL. There was a certain coach who would get upset at his players for not being there 15 basically 15 minutes uh, early is otherwise you're late so yeah, yeah. you know you're early you're on time if you're on time you're already late kind yeah, of thing yeah yeah and so not but i was that way a long time ago mm-hmm. even before the, you know that kind of got to be known in the nfl that was just in general and it has saved my backside <laughs> how many times over uh, especially when you're on someone else's schedule, read football, basketball teams. Of course. I mean, I'm always, <laughs> see, I'm always right on time to things. Like the first couple of times I'll be very early and then I'll time out how long it takes me to drive somewhere. And then I show up <laughs> right on time when I need to be there. <laughs> and one other question, what's something acceptable in society that you secretly disagree with? Wow. Wow. I think for me, it's um, like when you're in a grocery store and people are just kind of walking through the aisles willy-nilly, I think right side, you should be going one way, you know, left side the other way. Um, I get uh, get into similar with the grocery store and more appropriately organize my thoughts and here's how I'm going to attack it Okay. okay. And while people wander. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you got to be ready for anything. Right. Exactly. <laughs> kind of look out. This is why the carts have bumpers on them. (laughs) K-State baseball coming up next. Have a great weekend, folks.